our friends at Orca Coors now have a new traveler and camper. Get a handle on your chaser with their traveler and take your mug on the go with the Orca camper. State-of-the-art drinkware designed, powder-coated, and shipped out of Nashville, Tennessee. Keep your drinks hot and your cold drinks cold and make all those memories last with Orca. Don't forget to use code DADSEASON. You will save 20% on your order when you use code DADSEASON at orcacoors.com. Today's show is also sponsored by our friends at distilleryproducts.com. You know they are one of the best places to go, if not the best place to go. They are the best place to go for laser-edged glassware at wholesale pricing. All the distilleries use them. If you ask distilleries, hey, where do you get your glasses? Chances are they say distilleryproducts.com. And if you are a bourbon group, a store, a podcast, a blog, and you want laser-edged glassware with your logo on it, make sure to reach out to me. I would love to get you in touch with Carson, Janie, Vicky, all the good folks over at distilleryproducts.com. It is a family business over there and they are great people. Last but not least, today's show is sponsored by Action247.com. If you want action, get in on the action with Tennessee's only sports book by Tennesseans for Tennesseans. You know the MLB is going on. You know that there's NBA, NHL, a lot of good stuff going on. Use code DADS100. They will match 50% of your first deposit up to $800. So that means if you deposit $800, they will give you $400 for free. If you use code DADS100 at Action247.com. everyone. My name is John Edwards. I'm San Zeke Baker tonight, but together we make the Dad's Trick of Bourbon. Wherever you are, whatever time it is, thank you for making us part of your day. I'm out of breath. It is a crazy night. I don't know why I decided to pick St. Patrick's Day to do this podcast. I don't know why Kentucky decided to lose to St. Peter's before we did this podcast. My daughter turns six tomorrow. She will not go to bed, but I am very excited. I've been talking to this man for a couple minutes before I hit the record button, and I'm very, very excited to have Mr. Jeff Duckhorn from Redwood Empire Whiskey. He's the master distiller of Redwood Empire. He is the man in charge. He has a team under him. They're putting out awesome stuff. People have been reaching out to me and saying, hey, have you ever had Redwood? I haven't purchased it yet. I've seen it in the stores. It's one of the things where I had it on my list of things to do. And then thankfully, y'all reached out and said, would you like to do a podcast with us? And I said, absolutely. We would love to have you on. I've been dying to try it. There's some people that swear by it. I know some people here in Nashville are always posting on Instagram about Redwood Empire. Jeff, welcome to Dad's Shrinky Bourbon. Thanks, John. Really glad to be here. Sorry about your team, though, man. I know how that goes. (laughs) Well, you were saying there is a huge matchup within the Redwood Empire family tomorrow, and there's a lot of people talking shit. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, uh, I mean, we're out west here. So Golden State Warriors are my team, you know, obviously right down the road. And uh, Draymond, who's our guy, our anchor, is finally back on the team after a couple months out. He hails from uh, Michigan State, and uh, Michigan State's playing uh, Gonzaga tomorrow, and that's where Steph Curry uh, went to school. So those guys are are talking some mad trash right now against each other. So that'll be a fun game. Who are you going for? I mean, with with that going on out there, what's your college team? Michigan State's the heavy favorite in that. You know, I'm more of a West Coast guy, so I would be a Gonzaga fan, but I'm not going to bet against Draymond on anything ever. I I don't know if you've seen that guy, but he can get pretty fierce. 
thankfully, I'm just happy I play football. So when those guys get upset, I know that I've seen more at the line of scrimmage than they probably seen on the, the basketball court, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I went to Cal, uh, UC Berkeley, and uh, we were not really known for our sports. I mean, we, we made a run in basketball for a while, but I feel like that's fallen off. But every year I, I was there, we lost the big game our big football game to our rival Stanford every single year, all four years. And so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty accustomed to, to losing uh, as my alma mater. So I can, I can sympathize with you because I've been there. The thing about Berkeley though, everybody recognizes that really, really smart people go to Berkeley. Y'all might not be there in the sports, but you're probably going to be all of our bosses someday. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not me, but there are definitely a lot of those people were there. I don't know how the hell I got there, but uh, I snuck in backdoor style, but it, it was good. You know, it was all good. Well, you are a California native and I will say for people that don't understand California, I have had a lot of experience going out there for work. There's definitely a NorCal vibe and a SoCal vibe. Jeff in talking to him for 30 minutes, a hundred percent has that NorCal vibe. You know, it's not that surfer thing. It's it's definitely I could see you at Berkeley. I could see you making whiskey. I could probably see you doing a lot of hiking too. Yeah, in the woods, man. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. So California is really two states. I mean, it should be broken up, but as you say, like it's it's two very different vibes. I think that the beach and the Southern California vibe gets more of that that press just because it's so appealing. I mean, who doesn't want to be on the beach? hanging out in the sun, but Northern California is definitely very different. Uh, it's, it's more rugged. It's more, it's more coastal trees, you know, not so sunny. I mean, we're, you know, relatively sunny here, all things considered. Uh, but it is definitely a different vibe. Um, I, I, I love it. I've been a Northern California guy for most of my life, had a seven year hiatus in Boise, Idaho, which is actually a great seven years for me and enjoyed quite a bit, but back home here and it's it's a good place to live what brought you to i i mean let's start from the beginning because you yeah. ended up as a master distiller but you went to uc berkeley and you were in environmental economics and policy that is not necessarily oh, their homework look at that that's not necessarily a degree that like screams master distiller to me yeah no kidding and and uh I've only been a distiller for the last, I mean, it's actually seven years now, which it feels like it was yesterday, but, um, I, I have an econ degree, spent most of my, my professional career in accounting and finance. And then, uh, somehow I'm now a distiller, but, uh, you know, that's how life goes. I'm in my forties now. And, uh, you know, as most of us Californians do, I mean, you and I were chatting a little bit earlier about cost of living here. It's ridiculous. And when my wife and I, uh, got together in college, uh, we were dating and trying to figure out where we were going to live and started taking a look at what jobs paid out of college around here and what it costs to live and, and rent an apartment. And we were like, this is not going to work. I mean, unless we're doing three jobs each. So we were like, let's try something different. So right around 2000, right around the millennial, we, uh, 99 and a 99, we decided to, uh, you know, move to Boise, Idaho and give that a shot. And how was it? It was great, man. I, so I, I'm all in for the, the hiking, the hunting, the fly fishing, any sort of fishing, like any sort of outdoor stuff. I'm, you know, I'd sign me up. I'm all good. So I kind of dragged her there, although she, she found some good, uh, you know, niches and she had a, got a great lineup once we settled in, but it's beautiful. I mean, it's, it's, you know, a million people living in a vast amount of space. So you could drive an hour in any direction and just be out in the middle of nowhere. And that was great. I mean, that was kind of where I started to appreciate whiskey actually, because we would go on a annual backpacking trip 
And it was, you know, seven miles into the middle of nowhere to fish for three nights and days. And so we all had one bottle of whiskey we brought with us. And it was like, what are you going to bring this year? And it was anywhere between like four guys and eight guys, depending upon who could get away at that time. And so you get there, you hike in, you put your feet in the river because you're just beat and your feet are killing you. And then and then the whiskeys kind of start to come out. It's like, Ooh, who brought what? No, a little Macallan over there. Nice, nice. And, you know. A little bit, you know, a little walker. And then with the bourbons, oh, what's everybody drinking there? So it was really fun to see what everybody was pulling out. And that was kind of where I kind of, that was like my first real introduction to to different whiskeys and styles. And I was drinking a lot of red breast back then and Irish whiskey, and that was jamming. And uh, it was really fun. I mean, it was, it was a great introduction. That's funny. I actually had a pour of red breast 15 before oh, yeah, we started. We I had to have, you know, the annual let's drink some Irish whiskey thing. But what yeah. were you going for? What would you bring to that what whiskeys really drew you in when you first started the red breast i mean going back to the the economics background was i was always cask strength right so it was i think it was like 115 120 proof back then they didn't have as much cast stuff available so i was all about how much alcohol can i get in my bottle of whiskey if i'm going to carry it seven miles what's my roi when yeah, exactly. <laughs> ROI, baby. So that that was a big part. But I also just love the smoothness of Irish whiskey. And, and just it's a nice, subtle, you know, texture to it. And, and it's all about the blending. And there's grain in there and there's malt in there. And it was a nice introduction. Um, I've since, you know, obviously come to really appreciate American whiskey because that's what we make. And I pretty much damn well appreciate it. I do now and love it. But I mean, I just I love all whiskey. It's just so fun to get your get your hands on a bottle of something that either somebody's recommended you've always wanted to try or even better something that you've never heard of. And you're like, somebody's like, you know, at a bar and they're like, hey, man, try this. And you're like, holy cow, that's great. I never heard of that. I love all of that, by the way. The reason I ask is because you obviously are going to go into a style as a master distiller. Do you feel like those roots, those Irish whiskey roots have kind of come with you into the way that you distill and blend today? I, I think so. I mean, maybe maybe not Irish whiskey, but maybe it is. I don't know. I, 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 I'm a big fan of blending and subtlety and balance. And those are, I think those are, those are things that do definitely show in Irish whiskey. So yeah, I mean, maybe you're onto something here. I haven't really spent a lot of time thinking about lately. I mean, just went off on this tangent i haven't thought about it but i i really do think that with our lineup that's something that i talk about a lot is that it's all about balance uh, even our rye i think is a little bit softer and more delicate than some of the other big poppy ryes out there so so yeah i mean i think i think you got something there i think that's if if we're going to say we have a, a house style and i'm helping drive that then i think that's part of it for sure what, what are you drinking right now by the way i uh, I see you drinking something. I am drinking all three of yours. You have more than three, but all three of the ones you sent me. So I have the last. Oh, you're just banging through them. All right. I'm going back and forth, and I'm I'm noticing as you're talking about you know style and balance that makes me want to take a little nip of each one of them and kind of look at that balance. So I have the Lost Monarch. It's a blend of straight whiskeys. It is 45% ABV. It is out of Sonoma County, California. And there you are. You have uh, your signatures right on here. And it's That's me aged. on the label, too. That's my picture on the label, too. <laughs> really? That's after a rough night. Yeah. That's after about seven days in the woods hiking, isn't it? It's a really old guy with a big beard for, for those of us on, on radio that are in the car right now. <laughs> 
It says a uh, Lost Monarch is a blend of straight rye whiskeys and straight bourbon whiskeys aged at least three years. Aging our barrels in the temperate climate of the Northern California coast allows for a slow and even extraction of flavor, producing a whiskey of exceptional balance and complexity. When I look at this right here, it is bottled by Redwood Empire, wasn't distilled by Redwood Empire. So I'm assuming you're yep. sourcing this this whiskey. Yeah, so all three, we call this the core lineup, the three white labels you have in front of you. These are all a blend. So they, they all have a portion of California juice that we distilled from scratch, but they're predominantly sourced. Uh, a lot of MGP, uh, more and more uh, Kentucky, Bardstown primarily, some other distilleries, a little bit of Dickel as well. Uh, well I probably shouldn't say that, but whatever. You, Tennessee They, they say uh, Tullahoma juice is what they they say to get around yes. it, right? Right. You just, you just say Tennessee, and that's you know, there's not a whole lot of people making a lot big production whiskey in Tennessee. You know what the problem is now, though, is TDC, you know, Tennessee Distilling Company is finally coming of age. Dude. Where you can't really say like, hey, I have a five-year whiskey. Did you get it from Tullahoma? Did you get it from TDC? Did you get it from, there's other places now within Tennessee that are doing that as well. So like it's starting, if you think about Tennessee and everybody who listens knows I've said this ad nauseum, they really didn't start distilling until 2011, 2012. And then you take the sourcing years where they were getting up and running. 2022, we're starting to kind of get into these other distilleries besides Dickel and Jack that have stuff that's coming to be five, six years old. It's kind of crazy. And that's happening everywhere. And that's why it's it's a super exciting time for craft whiskey because all of us guys that have been, you know, hashing it out for years are are finally starting to see the fruits of our labor. And we're getting product to market where it has age on it. Like there's no more, you don't have to do, you know, 25 gallon barrels that you, you aged for when you're putting actual days on the label versus years. So it's it's a great time for craft whiskey. I'm, I, every time I go out, like I taste stuff, I'm just so excited to see the breadth of in the depth of just like all these really good quality whiskeys out there now, which is really fun. A hundred percent. And you have this Lost Monarch, the Pipe Dream, which is your bourbon whiskey, and then the Emerald Giant, which is rye whiskey. These are all sourced from different distilleries, as you were saying. But I do see a still behind you. So I'm assuming that you're putting some things down while you're putting out these source whiskeys and you need some time to let your stuff age a little bit more. Totally. Yeah. Let, Let me let me can I give you like my little background story? That that is why we are here. So all right, let's do it. All right. Uh, so there was once a guy named Jeff who was uh, hired by a company named Purple Brands to be their cost accountant. This was back in the year 2011, almost 11 years ago. So anyways, I was I was hired by this, the company I'm at now. We were a wine company, uh, very much successful wine company, building brands, selling brands. Blackstone Merlot, our owner, Derek, uh, built up and sold off. And then Mark West Pinot Noir did really well. He wanted to kind of diversify, keep making wine, but also look at spirits. And so he was, uh, you know, call it 2013, starting to get interested about uh, spirits and and starting a distillery. Meanwhile, I'm, you know, in, in accounting, cost accounting, staring at spreadsheets. Uh, it's fine. I mean, for all you accountants out there, it's a great way to make a living. And I love my spreadsheets still, but wanting to do more you know, really wanting to get in more into production and really get my hands a little bit dirtier. Like I've always, uh, when I go home, I make stuff. Like I've, I've been making beer since before I could probably legally drink beer. I love fermentations of any kind. Anytime there's something fermenting somewhere, I want to stick my face in it and just 
smell it and see it. And just, I love just fermentation is just such an amazing natural process that we have on this earth. So I dig it. And so our owner knew that. And we were talking about building a distillery and I kind of quickly raised my hand like, hey, I want to be involved in that, in whatever capacity I can. And so I got more and more involved. I was helping uh, figure out how to pay for it, managing the assets and the leases and all that. But I was like, no, I want to be involved. Like I want to get my hands dirty. And so I got to spend some time. We had hired a young distiller to help us get things up and running. And I got to kind of cross train with him as we were getting things going, but it took a lot longer to get things operational than we thought. And so along the way, I think he found out some things about himself and working for an owner operator and just how that all looks. And, you know, he he decided that this wasn't the right path for him. And so two weeks into being operational in March of 2015, like, I feel like it was yesterday and it's crazy. It's seven years plus now. uh, He, he quit. And, you know, wanted to move on and, and he's gone on to do a lot of very successful stuff and power to him. But, uh, so our owner turned to me and said, Hey, do you think you can figure this shit out? Cause we, somebody needs to, and I'm, I was just like, yes, please like give me the keys and let's go. So that was March, 2015. That was when the accountant Jeff turned into the distiller Jeff. And, and that was, you know, it's been a long seven years, but it's been an amazing seven years and it's been a lot of fun. And so that's, that's kind of where we started. So I have so many questions. So how good are you with Excel keyboard shortcuts? Shortcuts, I'm I'm pretty bomb. Pivot tables are really where I rock, or or V lookups, or you know, I I I I love Excel, man. I I and I I hired a new head distiller at the beginning of last year. We kind of joke about my my spreadsheets because it's it's pretty ridiculous how many I have and what they do, and I'm kind of attached to them. So if I just said to you right now, like control A, alt D, P, enter, 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 you'd know exactly what I was doing. I don't know if I would go there, but yeah, I think I could. I Yeah. I just made a pivot table. Did you really? Yeah. In my mind. Okay. For, for real. Like in my That's mind, for command? real. But it's control A, which is select all. Yeah. And then alt data. No, you got me lap. You got me lap, bro. You, got, uh, <laughs> you just lap me on that program. <laughs> no. So I used to actually dorkiness come out i used to be an excel trader so i sit there and love doing v lookups and and my favorite thing is to like integrate spreadsheets so that you have like one master sheet in the beginning and then as people fill out the data as they go along it's actually going to fill out the the cover sheet in the front which is the summary of everything and i've built like these monster spreadsheets that anyways nobody wants to hear me talking about spreadsheets but i i appreciate what you did so while while we're on excel just one more thing i still hit it all the time but there's a function where you accidentally hit a command function and you go to the bottom of the cell and it's as opposed to going down a page and i can never figure out like i don't know sometimes i get stuck down in that netherland where you 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 press command and you're down there it's always something it's a very simple it was this very it's right next to like next but it's like end and you're down there at the bottom of a of the spreadsheet and you're like how did i end up down here well, the crazy thing is Excel will do everything to the next open space so yeah. or the next thing of data. So if you hit control down, it will take you to a million rows down and then right. you have to do control up. But if you had something, say at like 500 row, 500,000 and you had just like the letter A in a cell, you hit control down, 
it would take you to the next cell that was actually full of data. Oh, okay. I get that. All right. So that, that might help me in some of my sheets. If I, if I put just a little phantom piece of data down there beyond my data set, then, then it'll take me there versus taking me to the very end of the, the world. A hundred percent. And then any okay. cell you're in, whatever function you're doing, Excel will do to the left and up. So if you do like, you know, alt IR to insert a row, it's going to insert right. the row up of the cell mm -hmm. that you're in instead of below. Oh man, I, you and I can hang out for a while on Excel. Like I, I don't use it as much as I used to because I used to, you know, just, it was all day long, but now it's, I still use it quite a bit and it's just so fun. But anyways, we'll, I, we'll digress from that. We're going to, we're going to put a bunch of people to sleep. We are, but I don't think people realize like this is the stuff that distillers do. I was just in Pigeon Forge visiting my friend at Old Forge, Keener Shanton, who's the, the distiller there. And he's got Excel spreadsheets of everything of, yeah. you know, when you're cutting your heads, when you're cutting your tails, you know, the yield that you're getting, there's all sorts of stuff that you're using. It's funny enough because the second you said accountant and I read accountant about you, I'm like, I can understand that because you're looking at data points and you're making decisions off of data points as an accountant. And you're doing the same thing as a distiller. You're just not using a computer to then go, or you could be right. You very well could be, you could have one of those automated stills where you're plugging things into a computer but you are are taking data analyzing that data in order to make a better product i could see the corollary yeah i mean you, as a distiller you know, you're always fighting a couple of things i mean obviously we want to maximize our yield but we don't want to sacrifice flavor so you're you're always trying to find that sweet spot between the two and it's really helpful to to actually map that versus just being like yeah, we made a little bit more than we made yesterday. It feels better, you know. Like, like <laughs> you need to be able to like correlate that to to, to data and be like, okay, cool. Our yield yesterday was seventy eight percent. We were eighty two today, but we ran it on the GC, and it's a little headsy. Like, we 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 kept too much, you know, too much of the stuff we probably shouldn't have kept in there. I mean, so it, it's it's super important. I, I like I, I don't regret any of the past that I had in my life. And I think if anything, it's really allowed me to be where I'm at now. And that's, I mean, I think it's a good lesson for all of us. It's just like, whatever you're doing right now, like that's not the end. I mean, no matter how old you are or what you're doing, like just look at that as, as, as part of the path that you're on and use that. And if you want to go to another path, you know, you can make that tangent, but you, you have to acknowledge that where you've been and that, that, that knowledge is, is useful. I think a lot of people don't realize that you could take things that you've learned and the tenants that you've learned in a certain industry and apply them to another industry. And just because the taxonomy is different and just because the words used to describe whatever it is you're doing is a little bit different, it doesn't mean that you can't apply the same techniques to a different industry altogether and still be successful. 100%. And I, I think that sometimes people are put off by that. And that's when real change and creativity happens is when somebody comes in from a different industry and it's like, why are you doing it that way? And you're like, I don't know. We just, we always did it that way. Right. You know, it's just like, that's, that's how we do it. And they're like, well, what if you did it this way? Because that's how we do it where I came from. And that's just like light bulbs happen, you know, the world changes, cool things happen. I mean, so hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's good stuff. So I'm with you with all of that. And then you get yep. the keys. I how did keys. you figure out how to do it? Were you like just going yeah. on YouTube Whoa. and saying how to distill or had you 
gone through and had a run through the still already? Like, yeah. So, so 2015 dad gives me the keys and it's like, go no pressure. And he's very much a pressure guy. Like I knew there was a short leash. So yeah, it was, we brought in our still manufacturer uh, on video right now. You can see it behind me. This, this is our actual still. It's a really cool piece of equipment. It's, it's built uh, by a company called Headframe in Butte, Montana. And we bought it because we really didn't know what we wanted to focus on. And this was sold as kind of like the Swiss army knife, jack of all trades, does a little bit of everything. So it's got this, you know, stripping column here. It's a you know, about 20 foot stripping column, 14 trays, does a great job. Strips whiskey, very good, runs about two gallons a minute. And then it's got a couple columns in the middle here that if you wanted to go to neutral, you can ramp it up all the way to neutral. And then it has this really unique piece of equipment on the back end here, which is called a barbe or a demethylizer. And all this does is cuts heads and it, it does a great job. And, and then everything is controlled by a touchscreen. So there's sensors, both temperature and pressure throughout the system that tells us kind of where we're at. And so that was all there for us. It was just like, okay, how do we make that make whiskey? <laughs> right. You know, it's just like, so we brought John in the who created this and he came from the ethanol refining business and got tired of making that and decided that, Hey, I can do something cooler. And so he started making these and he's a freaking genius and he runs head frame. And so we brought him in to kind of give us the, the quick and dirty. And then we just started throwing stuff through it. I mean, figuring out mashing stuff. First of all, was all, you have to start out with raw ingredients and make alcohol. And we were, we knew we were going to do, you know, mostly whiskey. We did some brandy as well early on, but we just started throwing washes through it, you know, and, and just seeing, you know, what would happen. And, and, uh, we learned a lot. I mean, and then I eventually did go out on the road. I got to do a couple sessions with Dave Pickerel, a couple different whiskey groups there. I went out to, uh, Jermaine Robin, Hubert, uh, is one of the, like the, the, the most amazing, you know, the, the like guy for American brandy. And I just sought knowledge wherever I could, be it in person or through reading and, I continue to do that where I can. And distilling is a is a weird industry in the US. Whereas like you look at brewing and winemaking, and there's so much education available professionally to go down that path. Distilling, that's not really there. And then oh, by the way, the federal government says that you can't make alcohol at home. You can make beer or wine at home. So you can trial, you can play around at home, but you're not allowed to make alcohol. You're not make to, uh, allowed to distill at home. And so there's not a lot of places where you can learn how to do this. To be fair, though, it's because you can really blow shit up making spirits at home and you're not going to do that as much making beer or wine. I think that's a part of it. It's There's taxes involved there, too. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely a safety risk. I mean, I mean, high yes, alcohol, the- high pressure, like probably not a good thing to you know that's that's when things go wrong i would say in the government's eyes it's probably money 70 percent and our safety 30 and it might even be 80 20 but there is a safety component there there definitely is and i and i had a, a little small five gallon still at home for a while and they're pretty fun to run i mean you have no idea what you're doing and you're like you bring your buddies over to taste it and drink it because you're like well if he drank it this weekend, he's okay. Then I think we're okay. I mean, that's like, that's your, that's your quality control, right? It's just your friends didn't die. So like uh, craft distilling. So anyways, the education is just not, there used to be a school uh, in Michigan and that closed down. And so now you got to go all the way to, to England, to Harriet Watt, to, to learn how to distill. So ever all of us distillers that are out there now have, have learned really through trade, through somebody else taught us, or we just figured 
things out, you know, trial and error. The interesting thing I think about whiskey and bourbon and spirit distilling, every distillery I talk to that's a craft that's starting off, they're always like, oh, well, this other distillery came for a week or two, or the person that made the still came for a week or two and actually taught me how to do it. And then the other brand came and there's things I get from that. Number one, like even the history, even when you're trying to look at the history of whiskey and write an article or do something like that, 99.9% of whiskey history is some oral history somewhere. And you have to go watch a video. Like it's not actually down on paper, easily accessible where wine and, and some of these other whiskeys are easily, you're, you're able to find that history out in Ireland, Scotland, et cetera. Right. The other thing is I love the camaraderie in the whiskey industry and the fact that those other distilleries do come out and work with you. Yeah. There might be a fee involved. Yeah. It might be out of the goodness of the, your heart. You don't know, but everybody has always had a story of, I ended up working with someone else. I went there. I spent some time at their still. They came and looked at my still. And I love that. Yeah. I think we're very much still in a collaborative phase, which most industries have this, you know, emerging industries have this phase where everybody wants to succeed together. And it, we're, we're there right now. And it's great. And yeah, so you can talk to people. You can be like, hey, man, like, this this happened like our fermentation i've never seen this happen before people are still very open i think craft beer was like that maybe you know 20 25 years ago before it got super commercialized where breweries were all collaborating like they would be like we mix our stuff with their stuff and we took some of theirs and theirs and like and we're in that really fun kind of open phase right now i don't think it's gonna last forever because that's just how business is you know love it or hate it uh but it's it is really nice to be able to to talk to people and just be open about stuff and be like, I'm experiencing this. And I mean, it's, it's so different, especially with us because our equipment is all so different from distillery to distillery that we can't make the same stuff. Even if we tried to copy, you know, the distillery down the road, we're going to make something different. Well, the other thing too, with that is even if you did copy the distillery that was down the road and you made the same recipe where you're storing the barrels, the, you know, what floor it's on, what wood you're using, what cooperage you're using, like all these different your water, things. both your, your wash water, your proofing water. I mean, there's so many variables involved. That's for me, that's exactly how I feel. I'm like, and even if people are like, I'm going to copy Redwood Empire, it's like, bring it you know, come copy us. I I would love you to try God, Like for me, that's like flattery, you know, it's like, you know, emulate us, do what you can, but, but we're all, there's always going to be a distinctiveness. And that's, what's really fun about whiskey and spirits is that, yeah, I mean, it's, there's so many variables involved. Like even the proofing would be a nod to somebody else, right? So if you're going to go ahead and make something proof it at 107, well, obviously that's a nod to Weller and, uh, you know, and Pappy. But if you're going to go prove something at 101, everybody goes, "Oh, look, it's the nod to Wild Turkey." But you, know, you might we're 110 by we're 110 by the way. So who's that a nod to? Yourself. Well, it's also the Russell's Reserve single barrel proof and, and makers and and pickerel and that's that's kind of a lot what I learned from him. Like it's and that's a man. I mean, there's so many things we we could we could spend go down the rabbit hole of barrels. We could talk about chill filtering which we do on our three core whiskeys by the way love it or hate it but you know there's there's so many things you can talk about and it's fun i mean it's fun to get people riled up and there's polarizing thoughts but 
people, I mean, what better thing to be excited about when you're sitting down drinking whiskey? You know, it's like, it's all good. It doesn't trigger any of us. Like Zeke and I never get triggered from it. We get fascinated why people do different things and it's figuring out like for y'all over there, there could be something with the climate of Northern California where you're, you're going to get, as you, y'all would say out there, hella flocking if you know you didn't chill filter it or something, you know, like, and you want to keep things hyphy. Right. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> I, I, as that's a, not hundred percent it, but I like that. I, I, I can roll with that. I mean, as a 40 year old man, I shouldn't be talking about hyphy anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, that, that time has passed. <laughs> But I, I want to, so I want to talk a little bit more about, um, so we, we, we talked about our core offering. You've been kind of sipping through them. That's what we've had out in market. That's our bourbon, our rye and our bourbon rye blend. And, and there's, there's the, the animal in the room that is that, that these are not a hundred percent distilled in California. And uh, the other two on the back, they do have the states of distillation, including ours. Uh, Lost Monarch, since it's a blend, that's not on there. But so this was this was a decision we made very very early on, and this is something that all distilleries have to figure out for themselves. And I am just in a place where I'm super lucky and fortunate that I have an owner that allowed me to do things a little bit differently. So most small craft distilleries, you know, you're 100% grain of glass, and, and that's amazing. And and then a couple years go by, and there's no there's no money. There's no revenue. It's all cost, right? So you're, you're laying down barrels. You're hopefully making some gin and some vodka. And if you, you're self-funded, great. If you have some investors, they kind of start knocking on the door and saying, hey, wh- what's going on? Like, when, when is this going to start turning around? And unfortunately, that, that it's a long window for whiskey. Whiskey's not really ready before it's time. And it's definitely not ready by and large at two years, but that's, you know, it seems to be kind of a window when, when money gets stale and hard to find. Uh, so we fortunately understood pretty early on that this still behind me, while it can make a lot of whiskey, we make about four barrels of whiskey a day. We're all full size, 53 gallon barrels. We do that four days a week. We do that 50 weeks a year. So you do all the crazy math, spreadsheets, blah, 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 loss. That's about 18,000 nine liter cases per year, 12 pack, you know, nine liter cases. That's what we can make on this still. When we bought it in 2013, that seemed like a lot. We were really excited about that. We're going to sell close to 40,000 nine liter cases this year. So if we were depending on this thing 100%, we'd be in a lot of trouble. Uh, we'd be, you know, completely capped and then some. So or pretty early on, we did, we, we identified that this was not going to be able to produce where we wanted to go. And why don't we go out and try buying some stuff to augment? And so that's, that was the decision we made for good or bad. I think for us, it's worked really well. I'm, I'm, I'm a proponent of it for our program. So we were able to go out and buy a bunch of whiskey, a lot of MGP early on, like I said, some Kentucky stuff, you know, to kind of find, find great whiskeys where we can partner with distilleries that were, uh, you know, would allow us to do some custom mash bills where we could, which was great and really just build our stocks. And that did two things that, that allowed us to leave our whiskey in barrel longer and allow us to grow quicker. And those were, those were two goals that were very important for us. And so that was kind of our strategy early on. And that's why in these three core white label products, they're all going to be a blend of different distillate from different places in different times. By and large, they're probably 10 to 15%, uh, you know, no, no less than 10, probably no more than 15% California. So there are a lot of other stuff in them, but you know, we've got our nice 10% stamp on that. 
And then we have some really fun older whiskeys. So the Pipe Dream, for example, is a blend of bourbons anywhere from four to 14 years old. And it's this four state bourbon. And it's, you know, so we're Indiana, Kentucky, Tennessee, California, all these different fun things working together. Like for me, it's like heaven. Like I have 13,000 barrels I get to play with and make these blends out of. And it's just so nice. And then I get to let the stuff that I made from scratch age as long as I possibly can. That's always my goal is like, let's keep stuff in barrel as long as we possibly can. Let's not release yet another two-year-old whiskey to the world. I understand what you're saying 100%. And as a distiller, if, if I were a distiller, I would want to protect what I'm putting out and I wouldn't want to feel like I had pressure to go ahead and release a two-year-old whiskey when I know the corn content is probably going to be a little bit higher. There's going to be some people that really like that. There's going to be some people that really don't. It's going to be one of those things where a lot of the times I feel like I say it's got a crafty note and there's nothing wrong with that. It goes away in time, but it's almost like that uncooked corn. Like the, yep. the popcorn has been popping, but not all of it popped and you still kind of get that little taste there. I think you're able to blend that with the other whiskey you have, which is an awesome thing. And you're able to put some of your mark on it and you're doing everything. I mean, there's no way to get bored because not only are you distilling it, but you're also blending it. So you're not stuck in a rut of one thing going like, all right, I'm coming in every day. I know I'm pushing this touchscreen and then I'm going to go sit and read my book for a little bit. Like, there's other stuff you can be doing, like blending stuff together. How do you, with all those different things you can blend together, how do you pick one thing? Or do you, like, it, it's got to be so much that it can almost be overload, right? Like, what's your process for doing it? Yeah, I mean, 100%. So this is back to the spreadsheet. You know, like, part of it is supply, right? I mean, for us, we want to be able to produce a consistent product. I mean, our, our distributor partners, you know, who really pay our bills, which is through our, our lovely three-tiered system, that's where our whiskey is being sold. They told us pretty early on that it's great to produce a craft whiskey. It's great to, to, to make different stuff. But if you can be consistent, it's, it's very important for us in the long run. Like if, if you come out with bourbon A and it's phenomenal, and then three months later, you release, you know, the next round of it and it's completely different. It's really hard to sell that in the market unless it's, you know, a very small collector's following. So, so that's something I took to heart. I mean, these are our partners, you know, we work with them. So, so I try very hard. We spent a lot of time when we were getting these ready, these brands, this bourbon, the rye, you know, figuring out kind of palette wise where we wanted to be. We did all that homework. And now my job is to try to be as consistent as I can through time with the understanding that that things are changing. These are living, natural things that are going to evolve in time. Some things are going to come up. Other things are going to go down. I, we've made a lot of changes in our internal program over the years. We've gone to different cooperages. We've changed grain suppliers. We've changed you know enzymes. We've changed every part of our process. And so it's it's trying to mitigate those changes subtly so that our product is as good, better, hopefully, but relatively consistent so that you're not like, holy shit, that was amazing last time. And this time it's, it's really good, but it's totally different. I'm trying to make a cocktail at the bar with it. And that's just not what I was, we had for our program, for our cocktail program. So I mean, that's, so that's what, that's one thing I've heard. So that's part of our goal. A lot of your stuff is very balanced. You talk about that before, 
do you think that is a wine aspect that is kind of bleeding over into the whiskey of purple brands because wine a lot of people try to have a balanced wine you think there's anything to that or is it just something you like to kind of be balanced great question i I do i mean we're so we're we're two years into this redwood empire brand and we're still trying to figure out what is it what does it mean you know who are we and then also what's california whiskey i mean there's it's not really a thing yet there's a lot of people making some really pretty damn good california whiskey but we don't have a style. It's not like, you know, Kentucky bourbon. You're like, boom, I know it. it. It's a thing. Like, but you say California whiskey and people are like, huh, tell me more about this. So yes, I, I think that, that for us, you know, in particular being in wine country, that is part of it. I think part of it is, you know, it's definitely understanding blending all those things, but also yeah, nuance. I mean, like where you can, you can elevate this note you know, bring this note down. There's, there's so much you can do when you have all these things to, that you can play with. And, and so I think that wine very much, uh, you know, is, has helped kind of influence that culture for us. And one thing before we go and talk about these three whiskeys in a little bit more depth, what made Derek and Purple want to even get into whiskey in the first place i mean they they have a very extensive wine portfolio if you go to their website they have tens of wines i mean a whole lot and obviously yeah. are very successful really good ones too derek is a magician so like i said uh he he founded blackstone merlot with his brother in a time when merlot was just starting to get hot and they sniffed out that trend and they were there and they built up this very successful merlot brand he turned around, sold that, and built a Pinot Noir brand right when Pinot Noir was becoming hot. So, so he's always he's just got a nose for these things. So he, I, I think part of it was, you know, he was just like, hey, like I love wine, I want to continue with wine, but this whiskey thing, like I keep hearing whisperings at night. Like I don't know if he's sleeping and like, you know, just doing his thing, and like he has the little the little whisper in his ear that's like, Derek, you must make whiskey. You make it in California, it will be good. But he just, he was pretty adamant. You know, like this was something that he was just like, he smelled it out. He's very seldom wrong on these pretty fundamental things. So he was pretty adamant about it. And that was, you know, that was it. I mean, he just, I think he just had kind of a nose for it. You're right. There aren't a lot of distill. I mean, there's some craft distilleries, but there's not one that has kind of put itself out there as like, hey, this is the distillery in California that's going to be that mid tier. You know, it's not going to make the jump up to 100,000 cases, but it's going to be that 50,000, 60,000, 70,000 case brand that eventually will move up the other thing i wanted to bring up is so you have to forgive me i have a thing and it's well known we've talked about this a lot it's not the whiskey it's me i broke up with this whiskey it is 95.5 rye and me yeah we just we're no longer dating and cool i want to hear all about that it is just the pine and the wintergreen yep. and the mint. It's just too much for me. And I prefer more of a Kentucky rye like that. You know, 61% rye, a little more corn in there, some barley. However, having said that, and you're trying to figure out what a California whiskey is, I feel like it goes back to earlier in our conversation where there's going to be two different distinct types of California whiskey. So you're going to have your NorCal whiskey and you're going to have your SoCal whiskey. And in the redwoods and in the forests and all that, like the 95.5 rye fits. 
it is very on brand for what I would expect for a Northern California rye. It, you know, also it's either going to be that or wine finished rye, right? Because you're right. going to have the wine yeah. country influence or you're going to have the, you know, the, the Redwood Forest influence. But for your brand, for the name, it fits. I still am not on speaking terms with 95.5 anymore, but what I would say is it's a very well-blended 95.5. It's just one of those yeah. things, like, when when Zeke gets the corn notes of a certain distillery that has an 84.8 mash bill, and I won't name names, he immediately right. knows what distillery it is, and he goes like, oh, sure. I got it. You know, and, and we all have our things like for me. And I say this because I want to give everybody the benefit of the doubt because I realize more people love 95.5 than don't. And right. so if you like 95.5 whiskey, which more of you do than than me, this is a very, very well blended whiskey. And, and what I like about it is the notes are there. You get that mint and wintergreen, but it's the mouthfeel of this whiskey i think that changes it a little bit for me it's more of a creamier uh 95.5 blend than i've got from some other ones and i really appreciate that mouthfeel and that rye spice is not like punching you in the face it is a very subdued rye spice where i think it's just a really easy sipper and i appreciate that about this one i mean knowing it's 110 proof and and it doesn't drink like 110 proof it is just a very nice pour I say all that knowing that I kind of broke up with 95.5, but I yeah, think it's, yeah, no, I I think it, it's an amazing 95.5. I wish I loved it because this is the first one where the mouthfeel has caught up for me. So I think if there's a 95.5 that's on my shelf that I would go for, it's this one because I'm a big mouthfeel guy. And are we, I, are we talking this this one right here, Emerald Giant? Yes. Okay, so you so can you can disagree with me though. I mean that that's no, the beautiful no, I, thing. I just, no, I I want to elaborate on your comments, which so that obviously has a very healthy dose of ninety five five, which is MGP's mash bill, which is pretty much you know helped us get to where we're at, which I love. But it also so our in house our predominant rye mash bill is ninety percent uh, rye, five uh, barley, and then five wheat. Like we pretty early on played around with wheat, and I have five percent wheat in our bourbon as well, just because people were like five percent. Does that really matter? It it does. I mean, it doesn't. It's enough to to get a little bit off that, but that's not what you're getting here. So once a quarter. We go mad scientists on all of our mashing and our and our distilling. And so on the rye, we do a legal rye that's 51 to 55% rye, and the rest is malt barley. And we have a malt house an hour down the road. So it's local, you know, beautiful malt. It's not freaking cheap, but it's delicious. And so it, it's 50% malt, essentially. So that's I think that's what's kind of picking up some of the slack there and giving that a little bit more of that roundness and and mellowing it out and and taking away from that pine just a touch at which you know that the pine i mean that's that it's a cocktail killer like everybody loves that 95.5 because it does stand up in a cocktail it's so noticeable and it's in so many brands out there that if you took it away if you eliminated it from the planet like there'd be a hole and uh, maybe you don't need to drink it, but you know, there, there's a lot of people out there that it's part of their ritual. That's why I'm saying, right? Like, that's why I preface it knowing that I'm in the minority here. And yeah, you might get the, the, the crap beat out of you later on. You know, you got to be careful. I am very lucky that I am a large individual that goes to the gym every day. <laughs> so I, I, 
I would just say that, and Zeke would in, insert a joke in there, but I know I'm in the minority and I get that. And that's why I try to say like, for those of you out there listening, I'm not just saying this cause I'm on with him. Like I legitimately think this is a very well done whiskey. It's just, I get that pine and I'm like, Oh man, I'm out. Yeah. You know, uh, like, well, so what did you think of the lost monarch? So w- since we're talking, we're talking whiskey, you're drinking, what do you have in your glass right now? I have all three. Oh, um, you, just, you just got like rapid fire. Just I, boom, I boom, can, boom. I go. can go to anyone you want me to go. I put three glasses out. They're all poured. Did I, you not get the other? You didn't get our grain of glass. No, bottles? we just got the three white ones. No, I did not oh, get that dude. one. So this is not a 95 pie. So we have two more that are 100% in-house distilled. Unfortunately, we did a very small release last fall. We did a thousand six packs for the nation and they blew, but uh, we need to get you some bottles, at least to taste, at least offline we'll taste. And you can tell me, I mean, it's one of those things we don't need to actually get. We, We tell people all the time, you don't have to send us a whole bottle. We're really fine with two to four ounces and we will split it up between the two of us just to say we yeah, had the, more. The sending thing is just the, they've really cracked down on the both FedEx and UPS on sending alcohol to individuals. Like, I mean, come on. Yeah. We're all adults here. They've tried to pull our license like several times now, which I get like, you know, it's, it's, it's a thing that they're under law. So they're just following their rules, but it sucks for trying to get samples to you all because it's just, it's a pain in the butt. Well, I will say for the brands out there listening, and I tried telling them this before because my old house, one of the FedEx drivers told on me and then anybody who sent me stuff FedEx, like it was going to get right. taken and, and probably drank by them too. Yeah. And it you get the little red X in your tracker and you go online yep. and you're like, oh shit. But for some reason, thankfully, um, I know a couple of the FedEx drivers listen to the, the show. So thank you very much for your support. You know, I tell brands don't put dad's drinking bourbon on the label yeah. and they do. And, but like, I feel like the drivers, UPS, FedEx, like everybody just knows when it comes to my house, nine times out of 10, it's going to be whiskey. And like, nobody has really cared. And they really, they don't even make me sign anymore. Like, cause I have two dogs that come running at the door and start barking at them. So as long as they see me and I wave to them, they put the package down and go. Nice. Yeah. I'm just checking out your, your, your back wall there, man. I've been watching that for the last hour and just um, makes me thirsty. Like I want to just drink all that to be fair. And this is another thing that Zeke makes fun of me for. Um, so when a lot of them are picks that we've done and then it's kind of like the, the dad's Ricky bourbon library. But when we moved and we built my house down here, we were in an apartment for like eight months. And so I literally just boxed up all my whiskey and put it in a storage unit. Well, as the podcast grew and people sent us more and more whiskey, I don't have time to drink all of the whiskey that I had in the storage unit. So now it goes on my wall and then COVID hit. So I didn't really have a lot of people over to drink my whiskey. So what I'm saying is if you ever want to come to Nashville and drink my whiskey, you can just hit me up and uh, bring some of that rye and we'll talk about it. Hell yeah. We'll we'll make a plan for that. That sounds great. I do like the Monarch. And and yeah, yes, so let's talk about the monarch a little bit. So this is a this is a blend. I'm going to give you some some hints. This is because the label is not super forthcoming. It just says it's a, a blend of straight whiskey. So this was we actually did a pre-release of Redwood Empire in 2017. We released one skew, different label. It wasn't a super attractive label. It didn't do very well. But 
they, they came to me and they're like, we're going to release one whiskey. What do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I want to do a rye because I love rye. And our ryes were definitely more ready than our bourbons at that point. And they're like, well, what, you know, what, what else? And I'm like, well, let's do a blend. You know, let's do something fun, like a little bit different. So, so that, that's what this is. It, we just evolved the label and the label's way better than it was, but it was a blend. But me being a rye guy, it is actually a predominantly rye blend. So it's 60% rye, 40% bourbon. Which you did say it was a bourbon and rye blend, but it's more of a rye bourbon blend. And you can almost tell with the color. Yeah, it's a little bit lighter. It's a little bit lighter. I mean, and, and rye is always a little bit lighter to me. Right. I don't get the deep hints of pine, but there's something in the mid palate that I'm trying to put my finger on. I just keep talking and can't shut up. Red hots. Get your red hots here. <laughs> Little bit of red hots, but it's like it's like a deep caramel, but also drying, like in the mid. The red hot, a little bit of red hot, but it's more, and I hate to say the word because people are going to kick my ass more for this than hating 95.5. It's a very smooth pour, and people hate the word smooth, but there aren't a lot of highs and lows, and it goes back to the balance, right? Like, it's not screaming rye spice to me it's not screaming bourbon to me it is a very just super balanced pour that's creamy equal throughout and i get the rye but i also get the bourbon it's like i get that rye red hot and then like caramel mixed together you pop rye and then you just kind of roll down the the bourbon trail right you know it's just for me, it's I, for me. This is a really fun one because it's kind of the balance of both. It's the best of both worlds, and this is like our gateway whiskey. It's like somebody that's like, yeah, I don't really like whiskey. Well, we'll just give this a shot. Like it's, I, I think you'll like it. It's like the log ride at an amusement park. Like you have that yeah. climb up to the top, and that's where the rye is, and then it kind of just shoots down and flows through. Like I, I just feel like. <laughs> You know, the whiskey's going down the chute. Like, it, it just goes very easy. And maybe yep. smooth isn't the right word. It's just easy. Right. So I, that I, I like I like subtle. I like balanced. I like delicate. You know, it's, they're all the same, you know, similar words. But I don't, I, I'm not about, like, trying to wow you. I'm not trying to make the, the spiciest thing or the smokiest thing or the, the, the hottest thing that you've ever had. I'm, I'm all about just having a pleasurable experience. You know, I just want you to have something you're going to enjoy and want to come back to. It reminds me a lot of Pinhook, if I were to make a good oh, yeah. comparison. And Sean Josephs was a sommelier, and he was a restaurateur. And when he first originally set out to make his brand, he said, you know, like wine. And that's kind of where I got the balance question, right? Is is everything right. is knowledge that's building off of each other. And Sean was like, as a wine guy, my job was to make this whiskey as balanced as I possibly could. I totally get that with these. I do have to say the nose on that bourbon, though, is my favorite out of these three pours. Like, I just love everything there. It's really got that, like, you know, the baking spice on the nose i'm gonna revisit yeah so so for me bourbon is was that was where the pressure built <laughs> of course right you know like rise like you go you go buy 10 rise on the shelf and they're going to be 10 completely different products unless they're all 95 fives but but in general like we've all accepted that rye can be all over the board it's just it's it's it is what it is but bourbon there's more of a defined profile and if you fall outside of that profile, like you're not bourbon, right? And and a lot of people still think you can't make bourbon in California. They're like, 
you're making bourbon. No, you can't make bourbon in California. That's only made in Kentucky. Not true. You know, you can make beautiful bourbon in any of the 50 states of the United States. That's part of the laws that we have enacted. And you also want to say to them, like, you realize that bourbon is America's spirit. And I said America a certain way, but America, America. But, you know, it is Congress had enacted that bourbon is the national spirit of the United States of America. So any one of the 50 states you can make bourbon in, it's not just Kentucky. I just put my head through the wall every single time somebody asked me that. Yeah, and I, I think you're you're starting to see just more and more beautiful bourbons from other places in, in the U.S. And I, I think so for me, there was a lot of pressure there. And granted, this is has is as a healthy dose of of you know, Indiana and Kentucky, but when you get our stuff and you will get our stuff, you taste our bourbon. And it's, it's for me, there's, that's where the pressure is. The biggest is for this one. It was like, don't screw it up. I mean, you're making a bourbon. People have high expectations on bourbon. And so I, I was, you know, there's a lot of fun to, to blend, but also a lot of pressure. Fortunately, we'd gone out and bought uh, several hundred barrels of a very old MGP to play with. So it was like, I, cool, I get to put a healthy dose of this 12, now 14-year-old bourbon in this. It, I mean, you put 10% of a 14-year-old bourbon, and it's just amazing what the legs that gives to anything. Like, And that's what this has. It just has that length where you just like you hit that like glass. It just has that nice resonance that just it just kind of draws out on your palate. The craziest thing for this one, the nose, I... I- Again, right? Nose is the majority of where your taste comes from. And yep. I know I'm not saying that for you. I'm saying that for the people that are listening. And for this one, I'm not lying. That baking spice for me is like a waffle cone. And I get a healthy dose of vanilla in there too on the nose. So it's like getting a vanilla ice cream in a fresh waffle cone. Like it literally, they just pressed it, they just rolled it, they put it together, and then they put your ice cream mm. right on top of it. And that, like that is what I get that. with that. Yeah, man. That, that's a great descriptor. So there's no there's no real high rise in this. There's no weeders in this other than our 5% wheat and our bourbon that we do. So it's primarily standard-ish bourbons where you've got corn in like the 70-ish to 75%, you know, rise your secondary grain, and there's a touch of barley anywhere between 5 and 10%. And that just varies by distillery. I mean, I, I've, I've really come to appreciate bourbon more and more. I started out as a scotch whiskey drinker, and that was, you know, you're in your 20s and 30s, and you just want big, bold flavors and whatever, you know, just like hit it, like, let me get it. And then I kind of evolved into different flavors. I was like, oh, this rye thing's interesting. And I, I, sp- I, I got to spend a week in Kentucky, and we did a ton of tasting and just also just hanging out downtown and going to bars and tasting things that you don't get in other parts of the country like that they just they keep locally like it's like it might be your very well-known brand but this is their single barrel offering that they're only going to have here in town and, and we closed down several places and I, I just my appreciation for bourbon grows a little bit every year because there's no hiding with bourbon it's so nuanced and so delicate that if you get it wrong it, it's very easily you know very well known very quickly like it's it's so nuanced. It's so funny that you say that because you know, as a Kentucky grad, I always thought Scotch was something old people drank, and bourbon is something that you know younger people drank. And yeah. uh, and it was kind of flip flopped for you, right? I think it's so interesting depending on where you grow up and what you're exposed to and the kind of life experiences you have. For me in Kentucky, everybody drank bourbon. Like it wasn't a thing where we even knew what scotch was 
when, so when like I was in table, college. Dinner table, 12 on. I mean, is that like, you know, here in California, we had wine at the dinner table from 12 on, right? I mean, like, we're all drinking wine. That's just what we do. Like, you know, we all have these preconceptions of what happens in these these areas that we live. So I'm just envisioning that you had your shot of bourbon at the table. You were just, you know, enjoying it away. Well, being a native New Englander, I did not go to oh, Kentucky right, right. until I was 18. And being a good Italian, you know, there was red wine on the table. I will say that yeah. as I've gotten older, the problem I have is wine. The tannins in that wine gives me more and more headaches. Storing's pretty bad, too. Yeah, but I can I can do bourbon without a problem. And that yeah. is kind of for me. Thankfully, I graduated from Kentucky. Thankfully, I moved there. Thankfully, I found the spirit bourbon is just kind of like the thing that i should eat i love beer too and i know you do it's very interesting for me also with the craft beers some of them really give me headaches some of them don't and it's finding those right breweries that don't kill me and i go seek them out more yeah for sure i mean i i drink less and less beer as i get older just because it's just doesn't settle as well i mean the, the plumbing nothing works as well as you get older you know and so I, I, but I, I do seek out like wh- whenever I get the opportunity to travel and I love traveling, it's just like, what's this local brewery doing here? I'm a big fan of sours. I'm a big fan of just whatever people are doing that they're, they're trying. Like, it's like, whatever you're doing, like, just what, what, what are you proud of? Like what, t- let me taste what you, you, what you're excited about right now that you've got on tap. There are so many in Nashville. You have to come out here and hang out because Southern Grist is doing awesome stuff with sours. We also all used to work together at a tech company and we went IPO and then they made a brewery. So it was funny, just like you, you know, they were making the beers in their garage and then all of a sudden made a brewery. You kind of stepped into this space and now they're one of the best breweries in Tennessee. Bearded Iris is doing amazing stuff with IPAs. There are so many good breweries, uh, Yazoo, Jackalope. Blackstone, there's just a ton of awesome breweries here in Nashville. You got to come check out. I love this bourbon, getting back to this for a second. There's a good barley kick at the end, I will say. Like, I I think that cinnamon, baking spice, vanilla kind of goes through. And when I say cinnamon, it's not like a cinnamon red hot. It's more of a baking spice bread that goes through, like that waffle cone, like I was talking about, that goes through the palate. And then I do get a good barley kick at the end that, that comes through on the finish and the finish hangs around pretty good. But I would say the the one thing that I think is consistent across these three is the balance in the mouthfeel. Like I still can't get over and I'm not overcompensating for not liking 95.5. The mouthfeel of that rye is crazy. I, I don't get mouthfeels like that on rye. The creaminess, you know, cause I'm normally getting a spiciness like a pop rocks thing in my mouth for a rye and the creaminess that i'm getting from your rye is astonishing really love everything you're doing and it's crazy you know it's your stuff and it's blending i can't wait to see over time what you do and how you're able to incorporate your own stuff in there more i have to ask right because you love that still and that still is very custom and allows you to do a lot of awesome things is there talk about potentially bringing in more of a workhorse like whether it's a straight column or whether or not it's a big ass pot like to 
to try to supplement some of the stuff you're doing? Yeah, no, great question. I mean, we're long overdue on that. We actually ordered a Vendome column, a kind of pretty custom setup, Vendome column with a 1,200-gallon finishing pot several years ago. And we've been just kind of kicking around the right home and then COVID hit and things got delayed. But that is very much on its way. That's a 24-inch column. This is a 12-inch column. Things are not linear when you talk these these measurements. So that will do seven times the amount of whiskey. So that's our that's our our hopefully, well, I don't want to say hopefully, actually, you know, if we get bigger, great. I mean, so that 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 is our next project. That'll do a lot more whiskey. And we're just now looking for a home right now. So that's within the next two years. I hope to have that landed and running. And we can really start to crank away on on what we're doing. Not to say that. You know, twenty thousand cases a year is not nothing, but I, I think the more that we can, you know, get our whiskey out into the world and what we're doing here locally in California, I think it's it's going to help cement who we are and just provide just something a little bit different. I mean, we're all doing things a little bit differently. The blending is excellent; it's awesome; it's great to show off what you can do from that standpoint. But I, I, I'm always proudest of what I have done from scratch. And, and that's, the, you know, that's what we released last fall. He's bottled and bond. We released a five-year bourbon and a five-year rye that were, they were both distilled in spring of 2016, uh, different mash bills, you know, there were like five or six different mash bills over that course of that six months. And man, it was so fun to get those to market. Very, very, uh, scary. <laughs> you know, we was just like, okay, we did that. And then we put them in barrels and then are people going to like it? And they, they were well-received. And that's just, so that's, for me, that's really exciting. It's, it's kind of this nakedness where you're like, you have no shield. You can't hide behind these other excellent distilleries that have been making great spirit for the last 20, 50, hundred years. Like this is what we just started making four years ago and love it or hate it. This is us. So it's, it's a totally different concept, but it's something we're going to, dive more and more into as we get uh, farther down the road. And I love that. I love hearing your story. I love seeing where y'all are going to go. I mean, what I would say is 20,000 cases is not nothing, especially when you're selling it. So, you know, it gets to a point for a while, it's good to have that demand there and people going and saying like, Hey, you try that Redwood yet? Like, yeah, I, I would. If I actually could get it in the store when it was showing up every single time it shows up, it's already gone. So I think that's a good thing. And as you grow, you know, being able to get in more States and do that whole growth thing. And then you're stuck traveling around and you're not distilling as much. People want to see your face and you got to pour them drinks. So, you know, more money, more problems. That's something that, yep. <laughs> that everybody's got to deal with. I got to say, I hired an amazing head distiller uh, just about a little over a year ago now, Lauren Pats. She joined us last January. And so I feel much better leaving the, the distillery now. And I'm going to start doing that more and more as we get out of COVID, thankfully, and, and start traveling around more and representing the brand. But it's so nice to have the shop covered completely. And she's amazing. She worked at Spirit Works for the last seven years. And so I've, we have great palates. We spent, so we spent uh, this, app, this, this late morning, we like to drink whiskey before lunch, before the, the heavy food sits, sets in, but <laughs> uh, tasting through a bunch of, of rye barrels that we made in early 17 and starting to identify our next blend for our next ball and bond round for, next, for this upcoming fall. And John, you'll be very happy to know in this crazy world that, that it was mostly of our blend, we're all mostly you know, 90%-ish rye. There were four barrels that were, uh, they were like 54% rye 
30% corn, which kind of goes against some of my philosophy about rye. I'm not a big fan of corn in my rye. That's that Kentucky rye right there, you know? They like, were freaking good, man. We're like, okay, all four of those are going in the blend because it's going to be like a 50-barrel blend. But yeah. they were pretty – so. I, I have a healthy respect for a little corn in your rye. It's just it's it's funny how everybody does the rye a little bit differently. Like Northeast rye, you know, it's different from Kentucky rye. We're still identifying our California rye, but like there's no right, there's no wrong. We're just all we're just all kind of doing our thing. Oh, and I just love how whiskey is all personal preference, right? There's no bad whiskey, there's no wrong whiskey because somebody's always going to like it. It's just, you know, what do you identify with? What whiskey speaks to you and then go seek that out. There's nothing wrong with the other ones and there's nothing wrong with saying like, "Hey, other people are going to like this, but this one is not mine." Yeah, for sure. And that might that might change day to day. Yeah. Like your your Monday whiskey might not be your Friday whiskey. We could talk about this for hours and we have a very similar ethos, I would say, when it comes to drinking whiskey, but what I will ask before we, we close up, I know I, I got to let you get back to St. Patrick's Day out there and I got to hit the sack early. My daughter is is having her birthday tomorrow, but how much do these whiskeys go that, for? By the way. Thank you. I know I don't like to talk about me on this too much, but I have an awesome uh, day planned at the American Girl doll store. Just, oh. yeah. Wow. So I'm going to bring a flask. Yeah. No, you're, you're, you're good. You're never going to live that down. You're going to be super dad this year. And the next year it's be like, dad, you remember last year when we went to American day, you know, yeah. like it's tough, man. They remember that stuff. They're like, you're going to have to top that. Well, we did Disney for her fifth birthday and then Dollywood for her sixth. And what I will say, though, is Disney in the middle of the pandemic where they limited the amount of people that could be at the park. I will never go back to Disney because it will never be as good as it was. It'll never be as good. No, I I, I got a puppy for myself last fall, but it's quickly become my my eight year old daughter's puppy. And I got to say that if you're thinking of something, puppy is is not a bad option. We got two dogs uh, within two weeks of each other at the end of 2020 and oh you got covid dogs yeah. we, we did get covid dogs but it yeah. was also i mean I'll, I'll tell you offline the real reason why we got them they we got two covid dogs they are now one and one and six months whatever it is or they're oh, like 18 months old or yeah yeah so you're you're in the thick of the dog thing okay yeah, so we, I'm, we, sp- I'm speaking to a dog veteran then. But anyways, before we go ahead and close this out, how much do your whiskeys go for? Yeah, so our, our our main goal is to be under 40 bucks. I think it really depends on on market and where you're at and, you know, discounts. But you typically were 35 to 40 bucks would be my guess. I love that. I think there needs to be more. I, I talk about this. This is another two hour conversation between you and I, but that. Yep. 30 to 50 category I feel like is really growing because I feel it's hard for for craft whiskey to really position itself in that $20 bottled and bond range that a lot of well-known Kentucky distilleries have already put themselves at. It's easily attainable. But that 30 to 50 category for crafts just five, six, seven years ago were putting themselves at 80 bucks. And a lot of people were like, I want to support these local brands, but it's very hard to when their bottles are $80. I think that 30 to 50 category, I really just have to applaud you because I think that really gets followers to really become supporters and loyalists. And I think that is an awesome place to be at. Cool. Thanks, man. Yeah. I I know for me, like personally, just as an everyday drinker, I mean, if you're much above 50 bucks, like that's 
that's like your Saturday night whiskey, which yeah. is great. And like, I've got those, but we want to be here every day. We want to be like the Monday you got home from work and maybe it wasn't the best Monday in the world. And you just, you know, you just want to kind of visit something and have, have a little respite. And like, that's where we want to be for you. So I think that we're, we're trying to hit that spot. You must have either listened to dad's Ricky bourbon before, or we have some mind thing going on because I literally call things like that's my Monday to Thursday pour. And then here's my Friday, Saturday pour. Yeah. But I love it. It has been a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for joining Dad Trick at Bourbon. We can't wait to have you on again and talk about the progress. Once you get that still in, maybe you come into Nashville, but uh, just know that you're a friend of the show. Anytime you want to come on, you have something going on you want to talk about, feel free to reach out. I know Zeke is probably missed out. I know Zeke is probably bummed that he missed out on this conversation because I think he would have found it as interesting as I did. Thank you so much again. John, pleasure. And sorry about Kentucky, man. Next year. <laughs> Next year, for sure. Uh, where could the folks find Redwood Empire? Can you find your all like online retailers, things like that? Yeah, where- I mean, online retailer is great. I mean, we, we always encourage you to go to your local whiskey shop. And if they don't have it, just ask them. Just say, hey, can you get Redwood Empire in? We want to be there. I mean... We, we are available on, on most of the online spots, but yeah, hit out your, we're, we're in most of the states now, if not all of them. So I, I think if you, if you definitely, if you have a whiskey shop, that's more of a specialty shop, they will have it, if not your local store. So seek us out, ask questions, push for it. We're, we're coming. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. The folks can find us on Facebook at Dad's Drink of Bourbon, Twitter at Bourbon Dads, Instagram at Dad's Drink of Bourbon. Please leave us an open honest review, just like we leave open honest reviews about the whiskey we drink. You can also find us here in Nashville, Tennessee. Cheers. Cheers.